Welcome to the Grace-Based Family Podcast. We're We're your hosts, hosts, Karis Murray and Michelle Brook. This is a podcast where we look at the power of grace in the everyday lives of families. We're excited for you to listen in on the conversation. Hey friends, it's Kelly Wirt from the Grace-Based Families team, and today we have a fascinating guest on the show, Lacey Cooper. Lacey served 15 years as both a county and federal prosecutor targeting violent offenders, gang members, cartels, and terrorists. While serving as a Deputy Gila County Attorney, Lacey had specialized training and experience prosecuting sexual crimes committed against children and adults. In that role, she advocated for victims, educated community members, drafted standardized protocols, and obtained convictions against serious sex offenders. She is now of counsel with the law firm of Schmidt, Schneck, Evan, and Williams. Today, she talks with Karis and Michelle about what parents can do to protect their children from sexual abuse. She shares how it is better for parents to approach it from the offense rather than the defense and shares some practical examples of how to do just that. Be sure to take some notes or bookmark this episode so you can go back and listen again because there is a lot you won't want to miss with Karis, Michelle, and Lacey Cooper. Hi, Karis. Hi, Michelle. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm really excited about today. We have a great guest today, but first, I wanted to give a little bit of a parental uh, warning and a trigger warning to our listeners today. Mm -hmm. We are covering a sensitive topic, and you... uh, Parents might want to preview this episode Mm -hmm. prior to um, letting their kids listen to it. I think it may be a good subject for older kids to listen to, but again, that's your discretion. And if if, um, this topic is something in your past, we are talking about um, sexual abuse today and also as sexual abuse pertains to minors. And so just be aware that that's coming and um, that we love you and that this conversation is going to be filled with hope, but we want you to be aware. Yeah. Well, I had the privilege of being randomly bunked with Lacey at a women's retreat not bunked? too long. Bunked. Oh, oh like, like bunk uh, beds. Bunk. Yeah. Oh, geez. Like camp. Okay. Like, okay, women's like a bunk house. Sleepaway camp. Yeah. And um, I just got to know her and hear her story and was just fascinated by her and her heart and what she does for families. And so I thought we need to address this. And this is such an important topic. And so I I reached out to her and said, hey, I know this is weird, but would you want to come on the podcast? And she said, okay, this might be a little scary for our parents, but it's so important. So thank you for coming. Thank you, Karis and Michelle. So nice to be here. Yes. So first of all, Lacey has the best laugh. I don't even know if I've told you. It is so great. I know this isn't a laughing time, but at some well, point you need to really okay. we embrace the, the laugh. Pr- the pressure valve every yes. now and then. So, so I, Lacey, I'd love for you just to kind of, I mean, your background is in um, prosecuting sexual crimes against children. So you have a such a different angle than a parent would have. You've seen the real ugly side of it. So can you just maybe unpack a little bit how um, common sexual abuse is um, and maybe some of the warning signs for parents? Yeah, the numbers are pretty staggering, honestly. Um, I just looked at an estimate that one in five children will be sexually abused uh, to some degree before they reach their 18th birthday. Mm. It's a little higher for girls, it's one in four, and for boys, one in six. Oh my gosh, Mm. before 18. So what that says to me when I hear it is that everybody knows somebody. Mm-hmm. That's right. Who who has been affected by this? Yeah, that's and, right. And you know, 
no one is really um, immune from this affecting them, someone in their family, a loved one. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. And I, um, if it's not your home where right. that abuse mm-hmm. is happening, it's your neighbor. You know, it's, right. it's the children at your um, your children's school. Yeah. Yeah. So what right. are some warning signs? How would you, is it pretty easy to spot if somebody's being abused? Uh, not really. And I say that because it's, um, there's not one stereotype of mm-hmm. what a child who's been sexually abused looks like. Mm. Some children that I've seen become very withdrawn like a turtle pulling back into their shell mm-hmm. as a defense mechanism. Some children act out, do the opposite. They become mm-hmm. sexually or, or physically, you know, um, uh, out, um, act out in a, in a way that mm-hmm. sort of demonstrates that that's what happened. Um, some children result to sort of self-harm. Um, mm-hmm. So it may not be the, in, you know, it may not appear in the way that you think it's going to. Right, right. And, and so for parents or maybe teachers or Sunday school teachers, people who are in a position where they they perhaps are around a lot of children, their own mm-hmm. children, what can they look for? Or, I mean, you, you kind of said there's no simple stereotype of what it looks like, but are there things that you advise parents to just kind of keep an eye out for? Yeah, for the adults who are in constant contact, whether it's a church on Sunday mm-hmm. or a school teacher, they're going to be able to notice changes in behavior in a child Mm -hmm. that someone who has infrequent contact with a child, you know, wouldn't be able to notice. So those people, they're stakeholders in that child's life. And it's so important that they're paying attention to those, you know, strange um, changes in behavior. This child used to be very outgoing and now they're very withdrawn. I wonder if something's going on. Then you can start to explore, you know, Mm. is there something happening? Right. Yeah. I think that's key because like you said, there's no one way that kids sort of deal with it and and it manifests, but also personalities are so different with kids that it really does take a person like a teacher, a Sunday school teacher, a a parent, a grandparent, somebody who knows that kid well enough Mm -hmm. to go, Hmm. Yeah. Something's not right. Mm-hmm. And something I've heard so often from from people that that deal with this this kind of um, problem and trauma with kids is trust your gut when you feel like something mm-hmm. yeah. might be happening. Yeah, I, I think you know? that's right. We want to we want to imagine that it's not true, and I think instantly our brain is going to come up with all sorts of excuses and reasons yeah. that it's not. But what I've heard from so many people is, if you think something might be going on, trust your gut mm-hmm. and dig a little deeper, like you said. Yeah, and the other thing I would say is that children don't commonly disclose right away that abuse yeah. happened, and you can imagine there's lots of reasons for that. They feel ashamed. Yeah. They, you know, have no reason to feel ashamed, mm-hmm. but they do anyway. Or perhaps there's been, you know, threats or, you know, they've been sworn to secrecy or they're mm-hmm. worried about their, you know, family, home life or um, those things. But if a child does disclose, believe them mm-hmm. because children don't come forward and talk about, right. you know, specific um, events that are in, you know, the nature of abuse unless something has happened. Mm-hmm. And the most empowering thing you can do for that child is when they say, hey, this happened to me, you say, I believe you. Mm. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, sometimes I have my boys, they'll go over to a sleepover or something. And I read one time, if they ever say, or they go to a new friend's house and they say, I don't want to go, I don't feel comfortable. Mm. 
as a mom, it's like sometimes you say, oh, okay, well, like, those are your friends. You should feel comfortable. Like, it's a a sleepover. You know all those kids. Like, we play soccer with those parents. But that's very dismissive because maybe their internal gut, even though nothing's happened, they something isn't right. Right. And just to honor that and believe them and not force them to a play date or force them, you know, with a certain family member, even if nothing's happened, even kids have that gut feeling like something here isn't sitting right with me and just honoring that and helping them draw those boundaries and say okay yeah we're not going to do a sleepover at that person's house mm-hmm. um sometimes it's hard for me because i'm a people pleaser that i'm like okay let's let's do it but for some reason if they're saying they're not comfortable there might be something there is that right i, I agree with that 100 percent. Mm-hmm. and um you know perpetrators we, we think of the guy who dressed like the ice cream man, and, you know, <laughs> the takes, white van. Yeah, takes the kid off <laughs> yeah, the street the with, a, yeah. Yeah. with a puppy or something, right. a mm-hmm. lollipop. Uh, that's not really who perpetrators are. I mean, that's such the rare case. Usually, mm. it's somebody who is uh, known to the child, mm. known to the family, even yeah. who has access to the child, and they begin not by just you know diving directly into you know a, a sexual conduct they they start with grooming you know that's mm-hmm. a term of art we use in the industry for a perpetrator who develops a trust relationship with the child over time so that they can get the child to feel comfortable as they kind of move them into this other direction so absolutely if your child is having mm-hmm. this gut feeling that something feels uncomfortable about the way this adult is interacting with me mm-hmm. you should um, believe that and mm-hmm. Yeah. And in honor, I think that honor, that's the right way to right. say that. And is it, this is kind of a sidebar, but is, um, when you said an adult, is, is sexual abuse also considered between minors? Like if they're going to a friend's house and their friend is, you know, exploring or doing things that make them feel uncomfortable, is that also sexual abuse if it's two children? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. And and that happens as well. And, and, you know, often folks who have been victimized later, they are, you know, the perpetrator. Mm-hmm. Victims become the victimizer. Um, okay. And so that happens with, with children. And mm-hmm. uh, yes, absolutely. If It's not just if your child has a, a strange feeling about an adult, but also about a child. Okay. Right. Or, an, or an older sibling. Child, right. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so they could be, you know, 10, 11, and then there's a 14, 15-year-old right. sibling. Right. And so... Yeah, I, I, that was a good question because I think we we always think of it being this adult, yeah, often adult man. Well, right. because it is often an adult man, but it can also be women. It yes. can also mm-hmm. be other children. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, that perpetrate abuse. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we had this talk with our boys a couple weeks ago. I'm like, okay, so if somebody's at the park and they're like, hey, little boy, come here, help me find my puppy. What do you say? They're like, absolutely. I'm like, okay, guys, <laughs> guys, no, no, no. Here's the thing. Like stranger, like adults are not going to ask little kids for help or they shouldn't. So you would say, I need to go ask my mom if I can help you, right? Or whatever mm-hmm. adult you're with at the park. And then I'm like, what if they're like, can you come help me with my car and I'll give you a bunch of Laffy Taffy if you just help me carry these boxes to my car? Um, what what would you say then? And they're like, yes, I love green apple. I'm like, no, no, you are failing. We don't go with strangers. But like you said, that is not the typical sexual predator. It's yeah. somebody that is close and has access on a regular basis. Okay, that's really good to know. And so where does abuse typically occur? If it, is it in homes? Is it at school? Where is there a certain place or online? 
Yeah. I, so the the message I want to send is that abuse can happen anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. it happens in individual homes with extended family members. Great uncle comes to visit. Mm-hmm. It happens at schools with school mm-hmm. teachers. It happens with camp counselors. You know, it, it can happen anywhere. I, I have a specific example, and some of your listeners might have even read the story recently, but there was a mom and an 11-year-old daughter who was shopping at the Hobby Lobby, and there was an older gentleman following them through the craft aisles. And it came out at some point that he was actually videoing the little girl with her mom and he exposed himself mm-hmm. uh, to this this little girl um, in the, the Hobby Lobby, ladies. Right. That oh. is our safe space, right. the Hobby Lobby. <laughs> the craft right. aisle. Yes. I mean, they might as well have, you know, jumped in their car <laughs> at the Chick-fil-A line, right? right. I mean, right. that is where we feel safest. Safe. Yeah. But it can happen anywhere. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I have even, in some of the trainings that I did for church, as we brought in, a, a, you know, great trainers to help us understand how to prevent abuse, how to recognize abuse. And one of the things that that, that, that expert said is that very often the perpetrator will, you know, maybe not the first time they abuse the child, but they will do it in front of other adults, like in the presence oh. of other adults. Mm in a way that that hides it from the other adults but mm. the child knows yeah it's happening here in front of your other, other sunday school teacher is right there and yeah. they did nothing right i can get to you mm. anywhere yeah that's scary and it's mm-hmm. scary and so i think we we automatically think okay well you know having a group of adults to together with mm. the kids is better to protect them mm-hmm. and yeah it is probably better mm-hmm. But I just, it just seems to me like when a perpetrator is is working hard to abuse, they make it happen. Mm-hmm. And I think, and this doesn't sound like a very hopeful message for our parents, but what I took from that is the most important thing is making your your space, your community, your church, your school, your own home the the least attractive place (laughs) for a perpetrator to come Mm -hmm. and that that may be our best weapon Mm. is good defense Mm. yeah how do we protect our kids if these people are sneaky they're smart they're charming yeah think they're like above the law how it seems like we can't control their environment like i can't control what's happening with my kids at school right now so what do we do to educate and how can we help prevent to the best of our ability with our kids yeah i mean karis you talked about a good defense mm-hmm. i want to teach parents how to have a good offense mm-hmm. and the best offense is to give your child a voice to speak out when they feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. that something is happening that yeah. you want them to feel not just permission but a duty to mm. come to the parent, you know, to their um, trusted adult yeah. um, to say, hey, something about this doesn't feel right. And to, to defend themselves because mm-hmm. you can't be with them all the time. Mm-hmm. You can't right. fully equip your home and your school and your community to be a perfect, you know, safe space for your mm-hmm. children as much as we want to. Right. Yeah. Um, parents, you can't. <laughs> it's yeah. not possible. They will get to your kids. Um, your kids will be exposed to things that you do not want them to be exposed to. And the first thing you want them to do is to come to you right. and say, gosh, this thing happened and I don't like it. What can we do about that? Right. Yeah. Or, you know, um, to, you know, in a really bad situation, scream. 
right? right? You want your kids to have a voice and protect themselves. So you're preparing them not just for protecting themselves as a child, but also for adulthood. Mm. Right, right. And and I think that um, that education just seems like it's key. And it starts early, helping them know, hey, you can tell me anything, mm-hmm. no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. You can tell me, you know, if anybody ever makes you feel uncomfortable, no matter who it is. Um, right. Yeah, I think it, about- it's key, right? I mean, they have to know from an early, yes. it's like you almost have to program it into their mind. Mm-hmm. It's more than just learning. Yeah. It's programming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, you're, you're training them in, in just the other ways that you train them in their character. You know, how do you right. be a nice and respectful kid? And also, how do you speak out when something doesn't feel right? Mm. I think about the 11-year-old girl in the Hobby Lobby. Yeah. Um, here she had an experience where, where she was exposed to something that her mom didn't want her to be exposed to. But if she had been taught in advance... Um, this could happen one day. Somebody nefarious might come along, mm-hmm. a bad actor, and it's your job to report Mm-hmm. And to, you know, let the police take action. And now she's seen that play out. How empowered does she feel yeah. that, you know, bad guy gets taken into custody? She gets to be the hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's and that cool. so often isn't the way right. that goes, yeah. you know, because I think people, either they don't know how to disclose. They're all the reasons that people don't disclose the shame and everything. But then very often they're not believed right. when they do disclose and the person who they disclose to, whether that's a parent or or someone else, maybe that person doesn't know what to do at mm-hmm. that point. Can you speak a little bit to that? Uh, yeah, I mean, when a child is not believed, they definitely are not going to disclose to other individuals, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, that is the the number one thing about um, abuse is that giving the child permission to disclose and then believing them and then yeah. taking action, you know, call the police. Right. Right. And if it's a family member, I mean, that is so hard. I I know, you know, instances of, you know, was family members who were perpetrating the abuse. And when the, you know, mom says, I'm going to report great Mm -hmm. uncle because I believe what you said. Mm-hmm. And we're going to deal with the consequences and the rifts that are created in the family, but yeah. it's most important to protect you and believe you. Yeah, I mean that's that's huge for the child, right? Mm-hmm. And it prepares them for future prosecution, by the way, too. You know, as a prosecutor, I think about mm-hmm. that too. Like that child one day may have to sit on the stand, wow, and yeah. point their finger at that mm-hmm. you know family member and say, "I'm going to tell you what he did to me or she did mm-hmm. to me." Mm-hmm. Uh, they need to feel uh, empowered to do that from the moment they first disclosed. Wow. Yeah. Thinking about it from a prosecutor's perspective, you're thinking start to finish, you know, (laughs) being able to have a a case that you can actually try. Mm -hmm. And you'd think it would be pretty simple, but it doesn't seem to be because so few sexual crimes get get prosecuted. And then when they are prosecuted, so few get convictions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've been fortunate. I've gotten some really. Um, well, you probably get a lot of convictions. <laughs> well, thank you. But yes, I'm talking about overall, in general, yeah, yes. in general, it just. I mean, when you look at the numbers, it's like okay, yeah, if, one, if in one in five, five mm-hmm. children are you know experience some form of sexual abuse before they're eighteen, mm-hmm. and you compare that to how many cases get tried, and then how many cases receive you know the perpetrator receives a conviction, mm-hmm. it's minuscule. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't get justice. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. in every case, absolutely, that's wow. true. 
Yeah. How can we communicate this? And what age do we start talking to our kids without, you know, instilling fear into them? How would you suggest opening up that dialogue? And at what point in the kid's life? Yeah, I mean, the at what age question is a good one. Um, I'm going to say something that's going to be very disturbing, but I've prosecuted cases where the um, child involved was as young as three. Mm. So if you don't start these conversations with your children young, you may miss the opportunity. Uh, I would say you're going to have those conversations with your children based on their age and level of maturity. You know, Mm -hmm. it's different for a three-year-old than it is for a Mm 15-year-old and what, you know, what things they might face are going to be different. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't start to have a conversation. You don't want the first time that you're having a dialogue with your children about sexual abuse to be after they've been abused. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You want to be having that conversation with them long before so that they can, again, have a voice and stop it at the grooming stage. Right. Yeah. Well, I think the key word that you said is dialogue, mm-hmm. meaning this isn't something that we talk about one time with our kids. Mm-hmm. You know, this is an ongoing conversation that we we need to continue to have intentional touch points on this conversation mm-hmm. as they grow. Mm-hmm. So when they're, you know, when they're little and you're changing their diaper, you mm-hmm. say, I'm changing your diaper, mommy's going to wipe you. I mean, I don't, I didn't do this, but I have heard people talk mm-hmm. about like, you know, it's important can, to say like, yeah. hey, we're going to do this and it's okay, but nobody else is allowed mm. to, when we have the the stupid no-no square song that we oh, sang. Oh, yes. You know. Have you heard that? I'm, you're going to have to sing it for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Karis. Oh, my gosh, Karis, you have to sing it. She taught it to me. Her girls found this. Oh, what, on oh, YouTube? It's something like, I don't know if this is the right melody, but it's something like, this is my no-no square. You will not touch me there. It's like, oh, <laughs> just, it's more of a chant than yes. a song. I think it was like a cheer SNL and skit. People, maybe it was. Yeah. It seems like something that would be on SNL. Yeah. But, and you can't see me, listeners, but I'm basically like drawing a box from right underneath my neck down to about my knees and this is my no-no square but I do think I mean that's not that lighthearted, but kind of lighthearted, Mm -hmm. right but it puts the idea in kids minds of okay what is appropriate touch and what's inappropriate touch who who are some people who maybe have a valid reason Mm -hmm. a doctor a parent who's trying to help you wash Mm -hmm. up right some a parent who's trying to change your diaper if you're that age or, mm-hmm. or whatever there are there are only though a few yeah, instances right. where somebody else touching your private areas mm-hmm. is appropriate mm-hmm. yeah and um i think we have to build that in early on mm-hmm. and so even with a three-year-old and and younger we're talking about maybe that's how you you kind of bring it up is okay yeah. these are private areas yeah. if they touch you you say no that's my private area mm-hmm. you know that's mommy's yeah. you can't touch that mm-hmm. right and i think it establishes what is healthy yeah. um uh you know appropriate touch mm-hmm. and then they know you know mm-hmm. somebody's it, it's like they know what re, what the right thing is and so when counterfeit approaches them right. it's like oh okay this is that was weird that was icky and then like you said they've been given permission to have a voice mm-hmm. where they can say well that was weird or like yeah. Uh, my 
I don't know. Yeah. I like My how you said, did you say, Lisey, it's your duty? Like, you tell them it's your duty to yes. report yeah. or to inform me. Yes. Yeah. Because it's one thing to give your kids permission, and it's right. another thing to let them know that it's a responsibility and mm. that they need to feel some obligation to come in and speak out about it. Yeah. Um, because it's not just about them, it's about other kids. Right. right. You know, but they, they can be a protector yeah. of themselves and, yeah. and of others. Yeah. And so often, you know, kids are... Kids are taught how to interact with adults. You know, when adult adult tells you to do something, you do it, right? <laughs> right. Or, or you know, you be obedient, or don't, um, you know, don't talk back to an adult, right? I think today's parents are, I think, a little bit more conscious of yeah. that dynamic and how it can go wrong mm-hmm. than maybe our parents were mm-hmm. when we were younger. But I think, unfortunately. If that's if that's what kids know about interacting with other adults, if that's the primary way they have been trained to interact with other adults, that can really come and bite them when they do have a situation where they need to speak out. That's right. Because mm-hmm. um, they're thinking, well, it, you know, I don't want to talk back or they told me not to tell yeah. or I'm going to, you know, I need to obey or they said you need to do this. And I did it because I. You know, they were an yeah. adult and I'm supposed to, Comply. you know, com- mm-hmm. listen to their authority. Depending on the, the you know, personality of the kid, mm-hmm. it's probably more or less of an issue with some. I mean, I have one daughter who won't do anything that anybody tells her to do. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a blessing in this yeah, way, I think. Right. But it's also been kind of a kind yeah. of rough, you know, raising <laughs> yeah. her. But yeah. And I think we talked um, when we were at the retreat together about we wish our moms or parents would have said it's okay to kind of make them the bad guy and say hey male teacher that's asking me to stay after class um i'm not allowed like i've i've told my parents like my parents have said i'm not allowed to be one-on-one with them yet blame it on them right you know have an out right because we both said we wish we had had that voice or had been taught that language because you're just especially as like a teen tween girl you're like okay whatever you say (laughs) right yeah bring a buddy bring a buddy Mm -hmm. yeah or like hey i have to have a buddy i can't just stay one-on-one after for detention or whatever it Mm -hmm. may be right or ride alone with you i need to have a buddy Um, yeah you know when my kids are little well they still my younger two there's this great book called god made me or god made all of me i'd have to check um and it's about this and it's cartoons and it's written in age appropriate language for little kids and so i would I would read it to them all the time because we had we had an incident in um, our extended family and um, not with my children, with, you know, some distant cousins. And anyway, so I was like very obsessed with this for a while. So I kept reading them this book and Hunter was like three and Bennett was six, six months. Okay, so Bennett didn't understand anything, but Hunter was like three and I'm like, okay, so this book says like no one should touch your privates and God made you special. You know, I'm going through this whole thing. And um, and he looks up and he's like, "Mom, somebody's touched my privates." <sighs> right, like all the blood went out of my body. I was just like, "Oh my gosh, I'm gonna vomit!" Like, brace for impact. I'm like, "Okay." I was like, "You know, keep that poker face." I'm like, "Okay, Hunter, um, who's touched your privates?" Like, literally, it still like makes my heart race. And he's like. Bennett, he's in the bath, and every time, I mean, he's six months old, every time he goes to get, um, 
the rubber ducky, he accidentally misses and he grabs my privates. And I'm like, okay. Okay, that is valid. But he's also six months. He's not trying to grab your junk. Like he's just trying to get the toys. He's slipping. He's like, he touches them a lot, mom. I'm like, I understand. Okay. And thank you for sharing. But that we're not really concerned about a baby right now. We're we're talking, you know, but it was just so cute because I'm like, oh my gosh, here we go. Like, oh my heart was broken. And then I was just got so anyway, we keep having these conversations. And every now and then I'll bring it back up. And they're like, Mom, seriously? You're always talking about the no-no square. You know? And I'm like, sorry. My husband's like, it's a little overkill, don't you think? But I'm like, I want them to know. Like, this is real. We can talk about it. There's no shame in this. Right. You know? Right. So, which we never talked about that with my parents growing up. I mean, did you guys? We uh, we did not talk about it from an abuse perspective. Right. That I can recall. Yeah. Um. My my parents were good about talking to us about um, sex and, mm -hmm. you know, starting early with that conversation. Um, but we didn't have much conversation about, hey, you know, this is something you need to we need to be aware of. And you, I do think that they the lines of communication were very open yeah. with them. And so, like Lacey has said, that is key that we feel like we can come to them. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I mean, even... <laughs> Even Tim and Darcy Kimmel, who wrote the parenting <laughs> right. book, you know, if you don't, if if you don't have a framework, I think, yeah, to think about this and to understand it, because it has been so hush hush and yeah. so taboo in our society, and and for the people who who abuse has happened to, very often they may not be in in a position where they mm. can help to educate the rest of us. Mm. You know, they're dealing with trauma; they're trying to heal from that trauma. And so, you know, it's really not their job and maybe not good for them at that point to be educating the rest of us. Mm -hmm. So I think for a long time there was this void right. yeah. of understanding and education uh, about this. Yeah, my, my family were very, you know, my parents were very private, mm -hmm. proper, you know. Yeah, raised Southern Baptist, right? This was not a conversation that was had in in my home, and I think that's typical of a lot of Christian yeah. families. Yeah. Um, and I'll just give one example of you know, I was in junior high, and the telephone rang, and my dad was in the living room. He was twenty feet away, and he said, "You know, go ahead and answer the phone." Okay, great, Cooper residence, and it was some you know guy on the other line who started asking me personal questions about myself and hmm. then about my body very strange yeah, yeah. and perverted, mm -hmm. right? And at some point I was like, I don't like these questions anymore. And I hung up. Mm -hmm. I did not say anything to my father mm -hmm. who was standing in the other room right. and asked me to answer that. You know, he didn't say, who was that? You know, yeah. um, I just went to my room, kept to myself. My parents are going to be mortified that I'm sharing this because uh -huh. <laughs> they, don't, they don't know. They still. don't know that this yeah, story happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because, mm -hmm. you know, I just, it wasn't something we discussed in our home. Right. And it's not like I was actually, you know, um, touched by anybody, mm -hmm. right? But right. The, like the fact that yeah. somebody was trying to have this conversation with me made me very embarrassed. Yeah. yeah. I think we sometimes downplay those incidents too. Like, well, they didn't touch me or yeah. they just exposed himself to me, you know, mm -hmm. but that though, this is a pathway. And, yes. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's a spectrum in terms of the amount of harm that it perpetuates, mm -hmm. but it's still, it just kind of, this veil of silence, I think, falls over those things that's right and you know i mean there's three women sitting at this table i think we all could give mm -hmm. examples mm -hmm. of of sexual assault situations right not 
maybe physical assault, but Mm -hmm. things that, you know, verbally were said to us. It's like, ask any woman and almost any woman has a story for you because it's so prevalent. And so I think it is important to teach our kids um, that, that how they can react to those things, how they can you know they can't you can talk back you can Mm. answer back to these people and then you can tell somebody right um i wish i had said i'm calling the police you pervert and actually called the police you know i wish that i had that voice at that age right you know i just Mm -hmm. didn't and you didn't you didn't know yeah right Right? um and and i think a lot of us we don't know we don't Mm -hmm. know what to do we don't Mm -hmm. know what to say and also i mean those kind of comments or or um you know words or whatever are designed to shut us down i mean our brain goes it just straight into our amygdala and Mm -hmm. we do this fight flight or or freeze Mm -hmm. response Mm -hmm. and very often it's freeze we just are like uh like i don't know what to do um and so we do nothing Mm -hmm. or we say nothing and um i know with my with my two girls we talk a lot about you know what if what if somebody uh, tries to tell you a joke or they're acting like what they just said was a joke mm-hmm. to you? You know, um, my oldest daughter works at a, you know, large home improvement store. Mm-hmm. Um, she's one of few women in her department that that does the job that she does. My younger one is in, in food service and customer service. There's a lot of, you know, interaction with strangers every day and I mean it was like that working Mm -hmm. in the workplace for them has opened the floodgates Mm. of sexual harassment (laughs) that they that they now have to navigate Mm -hmm. all the time and so we do talk about it which I'm so glad that they feel safe to come to me and talk to me about it but we have talked about strategies like you know uh, somebody tells you a joke that is clearly a dirty joke and is supposed to get some kind of yeah. icky response out of you, you can just say, oh, explain that to me. Yeah. What, I, I don't get it. Yeah. Explain it to me. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And and it's like, well, what, what do you mean? Or, or oh, well, that that's not the right thing to say to right. another human being. Yeah. Would you say that to your mother? <laughs> right. Would you say that to your sister? You know, things like that. And yeah. Almost giving them a script in advance, I think, is helpful because then it's almost something you've practiced. And when that potential fight or flight or freeze Mm -hmm. response is coming up, you've you've had some thought process behind it and you have something you can pull out Mm -hmm. to just push Mm -hmm. against it. And um, I think the power of us doing that collectively would make a huge difference in mm-hmm. just kind of saying, no, you don't have permission to say whatever you want to me mm-hmm. or do whatever you want. No, yeah. you do not have permission. Yeah. Um, That's a great point. And, and Lisa, you kind of hit on this, you know, how do we have a voice or how do we um, have extra precautions um, around now that there's the internet? Because you said you were scared, even with your dad, 10, 20 feet away yeah. to be like, okay, this just doesn't feel right because there, he was on the other end of a phone. Right. So what about yeah. people that are on the other end of a screen? Uh, a screen. Right. I mean, that was a landline, y'all. Right. right. Like calling the <laughs> home. Yeah, I, I remember landlines. Yeah. Oh, I love yeah. white pages. This guy's just right. going yeah, down the just white going page, just finding yeah. a child to access. Right. Yeah. Online, you know, the internet, I, 
Parents put parental controls on their devices, as mm -hmm. they should. But if you think that you have fully protected your children from a predator having access to your child just because you put some parental controls you know, on there, you're being naive. Yeah. They, they know that your child's watching Dora. You know, right. they can put something in the comments to try to, you know, yeah. get at your your child's attention. So the having the voice also applies to, mm. you know, things happening on the internet. You want your child to say, this thing that's happening makes me feel uncomfortable, you right. know, while they're sitting on the couch looking at their iPad yeah. and, and something, you know, chat bubble pops up. Right. You know, you right. want them to say, hey, mom, somebody's trying to contact me. I don't like it. Right. Well, and I think that the area that a lot of parents don't realize or don't think about is within gaming. Mm, right. Yeah. And so gaming is huge. Oh, yeah. I mean, we had video games back when we were younger, but they're not anything like they are yeah, now. Chat with strangers. And, and yeah, they, they can be playing a game on their Xbox or whatever at home. And you're thinking they're playing a game on the Xbox. Well, not necessarily. It can be networked and connected yeah. to other people playing games. Right. And you play together and you can talk to each other. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's an open door. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and people aren't necessarily who they say they are. Right. And so I, I think it, again, it comes back to educating right. our kids. That's the best defense mm -hmm. is giving them an offense. That's right. Like you said, mm -hmm. equipping them and empowering mm -hmm. them to, to go, Ooh, that was a little weird. Or I don't know this person. Like, why right. does somebody just appear out of nowhere on my gaming system that it's not my friend from school who I know their screen name? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and social media is another one, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah and one more thing I want to add about the internet and, and social yeah. media in particular is really more directed toward um, what parents are doing. Be cognizant of what photos you're posting mm -hmm. of your children mm -hmm. on social media. Mm -hmm. uh, not everyone is looking at your child in the innocent eyes that you are. Right. And when oh, they, you yeah. know, I'm sorry. I, I mean, didn't even think about it. I yeah. know. That's crazy. Um, that it, you know, think about what your children are wearing, how they're posed, what kind of activities they're involved in. I'm not saying don't post photos of your children mm -hmm. because that's obviously a way that we connect with friends and family across right. the country, ac across the world. But um, do be thoughtful that not everyone is innocent, you know, right. who might be right. having access to these photos. Right. Well, and back mm -hmm. when we were kids, our parents would take photos of us on a Polaroid or on film and go get it, you know, developed and put it in a book that would sit up on a shelf. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was our photographic record mm -hmm. right. of our upbringing now. There is a, a a digital photographic uh, uh, you know record yeah. right. and a and a data based you know record mm -hmm. of our kids and I'm really glad you said that because I we we don't think of that mm -hmm. we're not thinking through the lens of mm -hmm. a potential abuser right right you know we're thinking oh they're so cute in the bath right. or mm -hmm. you know they're so cute in their bathing suit well yeah yeah maybe you can post a neck up photo That's or right. mm -hmm. or just be thoughtful of it mm -hmm. and and there are ways within the different platforms to make your photos less visible mm -hmm. to other people but again it, they're not there's invisible a will, there's a way. and when there's a will <laughs> there's a way and how well do you know every single one of your Facebook friends mm -hmm. or your or Instagram? Their, or their yeah. friends, yes. right? Mm -hmm. You know, because that's how this web works. You know, we, yeah. we might know Joe from the hardware store, mm -hmm. sort of. <laughs> <laughs> you might. I don't sometimes go to the hardware you, store sometimes enough to know you Joe. like Joe from the hardware store better yeah. before you follow him on Facebook. And then you follow him on yeah. Facebook, you're like, oh, Ooh. I don't really like Joe from the hardware yeah. store yeah. anymore. Um, but yeah, you you don't know. I've got 
like 4,200 friends on Facebook. Wow. And I, for a long time, my my rule was if I don't know you in real life, mm-hmm. I do not accept a friend request mm-hmm. from you on Facebook. And that, for the most part, is what I've done. But then, you know, I wrote a book and I've started speaking. I probably need to switch it to a public figure page, but I've not done that. Yeah. So now there is a whole handful of people and mm-hmm. it's pretty wide open. And so, yeah. yeah, you do need to be really careful. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I wanted to kind of bounce off you, Lacey, with, um, you know, my two older girls on social media, I did, I mean, I did not allow them to have it until they could you know, they didn't have to lie about their age to get a mm-hmm. social media account, which I think a lot of the time parents see that 13, you know, year old or 14 year old requirement that Instagram or Facebook or mm-hmm. Snapchat put in place is like, well, it's optional. It really shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. You know, I think like, let's not have our kids lie about their age to get on social media at the very least. But just because now they're 13 or 14, right. you as a parent need to to decide, it, are they in a place where they can handle this? Sure. And it needs to be an ongoing conversation. But, you know, very early on, my girls, when they went on social media, they, we learned how to lock their accounts down mm-hmm. pretty quickly mm-hmm. because it was like almost instantly they started getting uh, private messages oh, gosh, with wow. photos in them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, here's what, here, here's what's going to happen. We're going to start your social media page. And you're going to start getting private messages. You're not going to open them. You're going to bring me your phone. Mm. You're going to let me open them and delete them or whatever. And and um, it wow. just, it's constant. But I do think that that conversation early on helped them pinpoint like, okay, these this isn't okay. Mm-hmm. People, aren't, people who I don't know are not just allowed to mes- message me. There's no legitimate reason right. for that happening right. when you're a 14 or a 15 year old. Of course. You know, I just saw a statistic um, that the contacts of, um, you know, sex traffickers um, of children online mm. went up 98% last year during COVID. Why? Because wow. children are locked down in their homes online, you know, yeah. all day long. You know, that's doubled. Wow. So, Lacey, what do they do? Do they just, like, start messaging or DM or whatever? I'm not really good on that. And the social media. And then build that trust and then try to meet in person and then become sex trafficked? Like, how yes. does that... That's yes. it? Yeah. Yes. It's that simple. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And you have a, a, you know, let's say a teenage girl who is feeling a little, you know, neglected in her home life or mm-hmm. she's not fitting in well with her friends anymore. I mean, you mm-hmm. know how that happens in yeah. junior high is mm-hmm. very difficult, right? Yeah. And, and sex trafficking begins at 13, 14 years old. Yeah. Wow. So she gets us a, a gentleman online who shows a picture that he looks really attractive and mm-hmm. probably not true right. who starts to make her feel good about her, herself and yeah. then you know he lures her mm-hmm. oh and gosh. it can start with you know she posts a you know cute little selfie of herself mm-hmm. and someone comments someone with a screen name that sounds kind of innocent right. yeah. like oh my gosh you're so pretty you should be a model yeah right mm-hmm. and starts to like her mm-hmm. photos every time she posts something and these platforms are designed to give you a dopamine rush when somebody likes mm-hmm. your right. photo when somebody makes a yeah. comment and 
you know, obviously they didn't put that system in place to to perpetuate sexual abuse, but they did put it in place so that you'll keep using the app. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the yeah. longer your eyes are on that app, the more advertising dollars that they can make on you. And mm-hmm. so it is, I feel like it's a system rife for Predators. being abused. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. So what should a parent do if they suspect like, hey, I feel like my child either in person or on the internet might be either being groomed by this person or is maybe being sexually abused? What, as a parent, what do we do? Well, obviously you're going to want to have a conversation with your kid to see if you can figure out what's going on. You're going to want to get in their social media and see if you can mm-hmm. uncover what's what's happening. Yeah. Um, and then if you learn that there is, you know, abuse going on, um, absolutely you should you should report it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Don't delete. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Keep that as evidence. Right? Mm-hmm. Um yeah. I, I'm thinking of one time where my daughter got something sent to her very inappropriate Mm -hmm. illegal and she like her first instinct was just to delete it Mm -hmm. and i'm like okay it's okay that you did that i understand the desire to do that but if this happens again bring it to me Mm -hmm. (laughs) we're going to take screenshots yeah we're going to you know please make sure that we have evidence right um because i this person is not just doing this to you Mm -hmm. right um they are setting a wide net and and um and do you see that people that perpetrate continue to do this like even if you've prosecuted people i've heard that with sexual abuse especially with minors it's very hard to what is the word um, rehabilitate rehabilitate is that do you know anything about that that's 100 percent true oh really yeah okay. i mean if, if somebody's brain is wired that way it's very difficult mm-hmm. to rewire it but but for the grace of god Right. Which brings up a great point. How, I mean, as we said, if one out of five people have been a victim of abuse, how, how do you not stay in that? Even though we shouldn't feel shame, a lot, a lot of people do. How can God's grace come in and intersect that? And have you seen stories of God's grace redeeming these broken and awful situations and bringing hope back into people's lives? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, um, I believe that God still does miracles today. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the ways that he does miraculous healing is when somebody has been, you know, abused or exposed to something. Even I had to do a, a jury trial involving child pornography and so I had to, you know, see things that you just can't unsee. Mm-hmm. But through you know, prayer, my prayer, my mom's prayer over me, mm-hmm. uh, my mind was able to be purged of this stuff wow. so that I could move on healed. Yeah. I absolutely believe that God can do that for anyone mm-hmm. who's experienced abuse, but yeah. absolutely, you know, get, go to counseling. This is not a journey that anyone should do alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's key. You know, God's grace comes often through each other in how we can help each other by using our gifts, whether that's our gift of prayer for somebody else or if we're a counselor or a therapist, being able to use that that training and that God given, you know, uh, ability to to help walk people through this trauma. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I see the piece of hope is that there are people like you, Lacey mm-hmm. Cooper, who are prosecuting this, who have mm-hmm. made it your life's work to to try to bring justice for as many uh, people who are harmed as possible and mm-hmm. to provide the some accountability because we do know that accountability reduces crime overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when people are held accountable and when they know they will be held accountable, 
Right. It's a good there, deterrent. It, yeah. it, it can be mm-hmm. a good deterrent. And yes, mm-hmm. this type of, of um, you know, sort of sexual deviancy is very hard to quote unquote cure in people. But I think the a big piece of hope and grace that I see is that you're doing this work mm-hmm. and that others are doing this work. So we support you. Yes, and we, thank you. We love you and we appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on today's episode. We hope you were encouraged with grace. If we can pray for you or if you have questions or comments, please feel free to email us at family at gracebasedfamilies.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you appreciated this program, please share it with a friend.